Good morning. First Samuel chapter 18. You're looking at Jonathan this morning. First Samuel 18, beginning in verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Okay. Jonathan. What do you think might be the theme this morning? Good. Yeah, friendship. Was that my son? He didn't, he didn't cheat. He didn't know. Yeah. We're going to call Jonathan the model of a true friend. It's a classic. Even people that don't go to church know that uh, David and Jonathan were very close friends. So I, I couldn't resist uh, using that as a theme. Before we get into it, I'd like to talk about a contemporary subject that sort of fits in here. It's called social networking or social networks. Now, a lot of people think that that's a new phrase. It's actually over 100 years old. Uh, it used to be applied, in fact, it still is, in sociology and psychology to study relationships between people in a society. A is a friend of B, B is a friend of C, you know, and so pretty soon you get back to A again. And you end up, you know, with these interrelationships. It, it looks like a network if you were to draw the lines when you're done. And so it's called a social network. But of course, today it's taken on a new meaning where the network is the internet. And a social network is MySpace or Facebook or Twitter or literally hundreds of others. By the way, uh, those are probably the most popular in this country, but if you go to like Asia or Germany or something, there are other social network uh, pages now that are more popular in other areas but uh most people know about them i'm sure many in this room uh even have pages on social networks their websites for well the original intent was to be able to find uh people with similar interests and make friends over the internet now of course the ultimate purpose of the first designers was to make money we all know that. And it's a great idea when you think about it. You know, it, you, it, it facilitates you finding somebody else that likes to correct, collect ceramic frogs. <laughs> Could you imagine walking across the streets of the U.S. looking for ceramic frog collectors? But you can, you got a whole host of them, right? right? Am I right? Yeah. Great idea. Man, for us, I'll tell you, the web has become the, the gigantic thrift store. It's amazing. All the stuff you'd wait years to find, you know, in the thrift store. Now you just, you bring up six pages of, of a um, uh, copper whisker, you know, or something like that. Um, but it's interesting, the, 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 the concepts uh, involved in the social network, because different people use them for different reasons, obviously. Uh, they can be very good things, as I'm sure many people in the room would say. You know, you, you can meet people with common interests and uh, talk about them and, you know, maybe even eventually get together. Uh, but, of course, also there are uh, abuses, as we all know, you know. And, and, in fact, the scientists and psychologists and all the guys that know are still sorting out all the ramifications of uh, these new forms of network, uh, the goods and the bads. But what I'm particularly interested in, particularly in the light of the message, is this friendship aspect. Making friends on the Internet. Uh, it's interesting, as you know, or most of you probably know, uh, on, your, on your page that you make, you know, in, in one of these social networks, or more than one, um, you, you put stuff about yourself. You know, statistics, age, 
single, married, divorced, you know, uh, hobbies, interests, right? That sort of thing, yes? And um, one of the uh, statistics that's put up there is number of friends. Isn't that interesting? They did that from the get-go. And really, it was a come-on uh, because it, it encouraged people when they'd get up there and they'd see that number, Rick has five friends. <laughs> you know, you kind of go, whoa! Because you go on some other web, guy's webpage, uh, Tom has 3,689 friends. You know? Now, be honest. If you were Rick and you went through that experience, how would you feel? Huh? About that big, right? And so it's interesting that that statistic uh, has become a particular point of interest for users of social networks. They want to get that number up. Not everybody. You know, like I said, there are lots of people that just use it to meet other, and they're not interested in that number. But particularly for young people, that number can be very significant. It's kind of a measure of their worth, you know? And if they get on there and it says 87 and the guy down the street has thousands, you know, they go, man, I wish I was like him, you know? And so what's interesting is uh, this number uh, has been the target of various means of artificially pumping it up. Did you know that? There's a place called uh, Friend Storm. Yeah, you, you got it. That's right. 500 new friends a day, guaranteed. Isn't that good? I'm not, this, I'm not making this up. This is for real. Uh, there, there are things called friend trains. Some of them are real bizarre. But again, uh, they're already formed groups of people which, if you hop on board... If there is 6,000 members, immediately you've got 6,000 new friends. Isn't that cool? Of course, if I were to ask you to name all 6,000 of them, you may have a problem. So I don't know if that qualifies as a friend exactly. Um, I just happened to find one uh, yesterday. They, they uh, have a way to get to that uh, number using your own web page and modifying it, and you just add two zeros on the end of it. So if it was 23, when you're done, it's now... T- 2,300. And it's amazing. There's a whole industry out there now for jacking up the friend number. Uh, in fact, if you, wanna, if you really want to do this, you know, I probably shouldn't tell you this. Just go out and type in whatever, MySpace, add friend in your Google. And you'll be amazed uh, at the companies or the group, software companies that come up all promising, you know, tons of new friends if you just send in 20 or 30 bucks. Now, obviously it's working because there are so many companies out there wanting to help you to get that number up. And of course, if you really think it through, you know, if somebody were to go to that trouble, pay their 30 bucks and jack that number up from 23 to 2300, they know deep down inside the number is just 23. You know, you're not, you're not deceiving anybody. And really it's, it's, uh, it's kind of self deceiving they're not true friends this 20 in fact they're not even friends they're not even people so it's been interesting studying this stuff and what it says is of course we shouldn't be surprised is people's craving to be accepted there's just a longing to be loved and accepted by other people and if i get there and i'm told by this web page that only seven people love me and accept me you know i feel pretty cast out so it's hitting at a fundamental need. Now, again, I, let me stress, I'm not talking about everybody that uses these things. Like I said, there are, there are wonderful uses of it. But there are many people who are in this, this camp for whom this number is like, they're obsessed with it. Uh, uh, this is the last story, but I thought this was very interesting. Some of you may even know about this guy. In the early days of MySpace, um, some guy took it upon himself, college student from back east, to get his number up. And his goal was 10,000. And he went through various tricks 
to get people to sign on and, and add, you know, get his number up. And he got it up to 10,000. When we got to 10,000, he thought, hey, why stop there? He got it to 100,000. He finally got it up to 200,000. Can you imagine? This guy had two, it says, what, are, uh, what was it? Sorry, with Ed. Ed has 200,000 friends. <laughs> he knew the truth, of course. But uh, he, he became quite a celebrity, you know. Uh, people began to add just because they could say he, they were associated with this guy that has 200,000 friends. And there were stories about him and stuff. Well, it got so bad that every time somebody accessed his page, they had, uh, MySpace had to download literally hundreds of pages. And it brought MySpace to its knees because people were constantly accessing this guy's page. And so uh, this is back in the early 2000s. They, they uh, finally uh, forced a limit of 5,000. I don't know if that's still in force, but it's not. Oh, okay. It's back up again. Huh? Is there a limit at all? Yeah, okay. Um, because they had to stay in business, and, and he was slowing them down. Well, let me just say, this, this desire to be accepted, you know, to have friends, is, is common throughout the world. It's common to everybody. And uh, the other thing that, that uh, not just young people, old people do it too, middle-aged people, everybody, male, female, they will, on their page, present an image of somebody that's not really them because they want to be accepted. And you can, you can see some pretty crazy stuff out there on the web. But it's they do that because they know more people will be their friend if they pose as somebody that they're really not. And again, deep down inside, you know that's not satisfying because they know that the person they're liking is not them. It's somebody else. Well, let me tell you. There's a way to be accepted and loved by the most important person in the world. And you don't have to pretend. In fact, <clears throat> you can't. <laughs> you can't pretend. He knows your inmost thought. He knows everything about you. What do you think it'd be like to be accepted and loved by no one less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? Think about that. Isn't that pretty cool? Wow. And you don't have to log into a website. You don't have to pay any money. And in fact, here's, here's something that may surprise some of you. It's his love and acceptance that you were created for. The reason people are craving all this stuff is because they're trying to create this God-created vacuum. They're trying to fill it. And it's not going to be filled because it was designed for one person, the Lord Jesus himself. And until he occupies that place, People are going to keep craving for more and more acceptance and love, and they're not going to get it the way he can give it. In fact, he's the only one that can give it that way. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, it's real simple. It begins by dropping the mask and coming to him just as you are. Okay? No games. And you say, uh, just like everybody else that's come to him, Lord Jesus, uh, I'm a sinner. I know you really shouldn't accept me, but... Uh, I know you died on the cross for my sins, and so here I come, empty-handed, hopeless and helpless. Take me. And he does. Isn't that great? Man. There are people in this room who know, I see a lot of smiling people, know exactly what I'm talking about. And that craving, that longing, is finally satisfied when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you, and you're not going to know what I'm talking about until you've done it. And when, you, when you've done it, you know, don't you? It's wonderful. And he's a true friend. The neat thing is, after coming to Jesus, suddenly you acquire millions of friends. No, you do, don't you? Huh? Isn't that incredible? Uh, I don't know, a hundred odd people in this room, many of whom really know Jesus Christ. And I love so many of you. You know, we never would have met apart from Jesus, you know? If we try to fill out forms and say, okay, this is the kind of person I want to be a friend with, you know, and I put down all my common interests and so on, forget it. 
There, there's so much clash in here when it comes to that. Yeah, not everybody here collects ceramic frogs. But you see, when God brings us together as friends, he gives us something in common, and it's Jesus. And with him as the common ground, I'll tell you, that puts any other common ground to shame. And I, and I proved it, and I know many of you have too. It is so cool to go. I've been to Asia, uh, not Asia. I haven't been to Asia. I've been to Europe, South America, North America, okay? Three continents anyway. Some have been to others, I know. And I've met believers in every one of those countries. Never seen them in my life. And immediately, within a few minutes, we're smiling and we're talking. Uh, I get invited into their home. I have a place to spend the night. I never met them in my life. And they're my friends. Isn't that cool? Man. Nothing can compare with the friendship that's based on the Lord Jesus Christ when you have that in common. And so we're going to go full circle here talking about these uh, uh, social networks. God has been in the business of making social networks for 2,000 years. There's one right here. They're called churches. He brings together a bunch of people who have nothing in common, well, or very little, and suddenly they have everything in common. And you instantly have X number of friends. I think that is so neat. Okay, well, what's this all, all got to do with um, Jonathan? Well, uh, we, I want to learn this morning from Jonathan's relationship with David as a friend because it applies to us. You see, whether you know it or not, right now, if you're a believer in, in this body of believers, you have a hundred odd friends instantly okay and so let's see if we can learn some things about how as friends we should be acting toward each other and we can learn some lessons from jonathan here on this um, and, and the first thing to point out is uh now on on myspace or or uh facebook or whatever you look for people who have common interests like i said you know i keep saying ceramic ceramic pigs okay amy likes pigs and, you know, based on that, you have something in common and you can, you know, at least talk about that thing in common when you start there. Um, what was it that David and Jonathan had in common? You know, why is it they became such close friends? It's interesting when you think about it because they didn't really have a lot in common. Think about it. Jonathan is the king's son. He's living in the lap of luxury. He's got servants. He's got everything he needs. You know, finest food, servants everywhere. And uh, here's David. You know, I don't know if they were poor, but uh, he was a shepherd. Okay, this, he's a, definitely a, a rural, rural guy, you know. So I don't see a lot of common ground there. The thing they had in common was what we have in common. It was the Lord. That was it. And it is so clear if uh, you look at the right passage. This, this section we read here in, in uh, chapter 18 is showing the, the love that, that uh, Jonathan had for David at the get-go. This is as a response to something about David that Jonathan has just learned. And it's David's love for the Lord. This is right after the chapter of Goliath, you see. And Jonathan has just come in to the palace or wherever they lived and, and uh, met Saul because Saul wanted to know who is this guy and that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. I don't, some people don't realize this, but Jonathan saw so much of himself in David. In particular, his love and his faith in the Lord. Go back to chapter 13. Now let's remember, what had David just done? Uh, at this, at this time, when Goliath was out there challenging them, if you remember, Israel was petrified to a man. The Philistines were in control. And out of the midst of the, of the Israelites came one man who believed God, who trusted God. And he, he put God on the line, stepped forth, and he put the Philistines to flight, basically single-handed. And in the light of that, now everybody else takes heart. 
and they all get together all the israelites and they chase the philistines and it ends up being a great victory for everyone right isn't that basically the story all right let's see what happens here and you're going to see a, a lot of similarity here in the life of jonathan way before this actually several years <clears throat> chapter 13 this is right at the beginning of saul's reign saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over israel saul chose for himself three thousand men of israel two thousand were with saul in michmash and in the mountains of bethel and a thousand were with jonathan in gibeah of benjamin the rest of the people he sent away every man to his tent and jonathan attacked the garrison of the philistines that was in geba and the philistines heard of it then saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying let the hebrews hear now all israel heard it said that saul had attacked a garrison of the philistines and that israel had also become an abomination to the philistines and the people were called together to saul at gilgal so the philistines gathered together in great numbers verse six is interesting when the men of israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed then the people hid in caves and thickets in rocks and holes and in pits in fact in verse seven some of them actually uh, are deserters and they go and, and uh, join the philistines similar situation right to uh goliath the the israelites are running scared okay uh saul does a no-no we're not going to go through that right now but as he was uh want to do but here in chapter 14 this is what happens next <clears throat> now it happened one day that jonathan the son of saul said to the young man who bore his armor come let us go over to the philistines garrison that is on the other side interesting but he did not tell his father is that interesting you know why his father would have said don't go over there <laughs> saul doesn't have great faith jonathan did and saul was sitting yeah this is good saul was sitting in the outskirts of gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in migron okay uh they didn't know he'd been gone verse four between the passes by which jonathan sought to go over to the philistines garrison there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side and the name of one was Bozaz, and the name of the other was Senna. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I love this. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Who's that sound like? David. Yeah. This is Jonathan. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Okay, well, we don't have time to go through the whole passage. We've got several passages we want to look at. The bottom line is they go over there. Jonathan lays kind of a fleece before the Lord and says, I'm going to call to them. And if they respond one way, we're going to head back. But if they respond the other way, we're going to go up there because the God has given them into our hand. Well, guess what? They respond the second way. They go there and uh he takes on uh about 20 guys and levels them there in an acre of ground that encourages the rest of the nation of israel and they pursue the philistines and there's a great victory okay so uh, you could plug in the name of david and it'd be pretty much the story of david and goliath you see so go back to 18 so that's you see why jonathan was knit so closely to david he saw at last a breath of fresh air another man who trusted the lord by the way there's an immediate application to us as friends huh doesn't it encourage you when you see someone else step out and trust the lord it does me you know and i'll be the first to admit we need more people like that you know me included who are willing to just look the lord is a lot greater than we give him credit for <laughs> jonathan david were a couple of guys that were willing to prove that and when they did it everybody was encouraged to join in so that is the common thread that links these two men you see it's their love for the lord and their desire to see him get the glory 
And to be honest, I have a feeling Jonathan had felt like he'd been living into a, in a desert up until this point, you know, until finally he met David. It's wonderful, really, when you know the whole story of David, that he acquired a friend like this at this time in his life. As we started on last week with Don, I'm sure we'll continue, you know the trials that he's going to go through now and uh, the rough times he's going to have at the hands of Saul. And uh, praise the Lord, God gave him a friend like Jonathan just at this time because he needed it. Uh, So what I want to do, we're just going to look at a few passages here and there, and I want you to see how Jonathan behaved as a friend to David. And we'll, we'll, we'll see how that applies to us as believers. We've already seen one application already. You know, here we are, the, the camp of Israelites, okay? I, I'm not a uh, amillennialist. I didn't mean that literally. But uh, here we are, the people of God. And it just takes like one or two, you know, to really stand up for God and encourage the whole body. But there'll be other things here that we'll see in the life of Jonathan that applies as well. But there's one thing that really struck me as I read through this, and I want you to notice it's just a few verses. You saw the response of Jonathan. Let's look at it again. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Wow. What's interesting is there's another response to David. Listen to Saul's response. Look at verse 11. And Saul cast the spear. If, if, what, if something's interesting to me, by the way, about Saul. No matter where you see him, he always seems to have a spear in his hand. You know, even when he's out on the field. I don't know he had a favorite spear or something, but it's always handy. And so he tossed this one at David. For he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now, listen to this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Look, by the way, that's one of the key words in Saul's life, fear. He's, a, he's afraid of everything. And isn't it interesting how he just responds the opposite way from his son to this man of God? So uh, Jonathan loves him like his own soul. Saul's afraid of him. Isn't that interesting? We're told why. Because the Lord was with David. And Saul, the, the Lord had departed from Saul. We're told that here. Okay, his, his relationship with God was shot. Isn't that interesting? I remember before I became a Christian... And uh, I would meet a real Christian. I would know that because they were serious about Jesus. And uh, in those days, I'll tell you, I'd, I'd want to put as many healthy feet between me and them as I could. I, I didn't like being around them, you know. It made me uncomfortable. I was like Saul. But something happened when I got saved, you know. And I remember uh, Carney and I, we were saved within two weeks of each other. And... Um, the the fellow who basically led us to the lord was long long way away so the point is we didn't have a church to go to or anything and nobody told us you know you guys need to go to church now we just knew it not that we needed to go to church what we sensed was you know there must be other people out there like us it wouldn't be neat to to meet them and be with them that was the way it happened really and we looked in the yellow pages because we didn't know what else to do you know, and ended up going to a, a church up in Berkeley for about uh, four years. But the, before, when I wanted to avoid Christians like the plague, something happened. This work that God did when, when he made me one of his children. Now, we wanted, we, we couldn't get enough of being with Christians. You know, like, uh, like Jonathan. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians that says, about us Christians, it says, we're a savor of life unto life to those who are believers, but we're a savor of death to those who don't believe. Isn't that interesting? Same people, but completely different effect on others. 
Okay, well, so Saul hated him, he feared him, Jonathan loved him. All right, let's look at a few passages now, and I, and I just want to notice a few things as we go along that Saul, uh, that uh, Jonathan does in his relationship with David. And then we're going to uh, summarize it in some wonderful verses in the New Testament that I'll read to you. Uh, chapter 19 now. <clears throat> Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father, Saul, seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presences in times past. Okay, what kind of good things can you notice here that Jonathan did for David? What did he do? He spoke highly of him. Good, yes. He told the truth. Yes, good. That was helpful. Huh? Yeah, he defended him. What else? What, what is it? Yes, he was an intercessor. Okay, he, he came in the middle and brought Saul and David together. Unfortunately, as we all know, Saul, even though he swears by the Lord that David's going to be okay, he's not going to keep his word. But nevertheless, Jonathan came in between, got involved in this, you know. And sorted it out, yeah. So he spoke highly of him. He he uh, was an intercessor for him. Uh, he went out of his way to be a servant, really, to David, which is really amazing. We need to remember now. Step step back. Jonathan is the king's son. <laughs> David's a nobody. He's a shepherd, okay. And so you could also say he didn't let their relative positions come into this that had nothing to do with it you know even though he was the king's son and could have said you know well you're just a lowly subject you know i'm not going to worry about this there's a lot of problems in the kingdom you know he he uh took the risk and stepped in and uh went to bat literally for david okay uh chapter 20 Verse 1, then David fled from Nioth in Ramah. By the way, he's fleeing because uh, Saul's up to his old tricks again. And went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing either great or small without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And this is the story, of course, where uh, Don talked about it last week. Um, David stays away from the, the castle or the palace or the house, wherever the king lived, for, for three days and to see what Saul would say. And uh, the first day that David was gone, Saul didn't say anything. The second day, he says, where's David? And Jonathan makes up a story. He says, well, he had to go home to Bethlehem for a while. And, of course, you know what happened. Saul's got a spear in his hand again. And this time, the target is Jonathan. And so Jonathan relays that to David uh, by shooting arrows out in a field and so on. You remember it. And the bottom line is, 
this is basically goodbye between David and Jonathan because David is going to have to just head for the hills and stay there because Saul has demonstrated he is not a repentant man. And uh, we have the scene here in verse uh, 38. Just picking up at the end of it, his his, uh, servant is out fetching arrows. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to to his lad and said to him, go, carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together. But David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Okay, Uh, I'll just help you out here. There were several things that Jonathan did besides all the things he did in the other. He tried to intercede. Um, He he was serving David. He spoke uh, well of him when he was speaking to his father. There's something that really caught my attention. You know what Jonathan has basically done? He's made David's burden his burden. David has got a rough life right now. If you want to know about it, read the Psalms. They're real. You know, we're always quoting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who wrote those words? It was David. Look, he didn't sit down and say, now, what's a good messianic uh, verse to write here? You know, I know the Messiah is going to come and he's going to suffer on a cross. I'll write these words. David wrote those words from the heart. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt like he was all alone in the world. He was that downcast and that sorrowful. Now, in the psalm, he finally bucks up and looks to God. But I'll tell you, when he wrote those words, man, he was hurting. He was a hurting man. Just think if he hadn't had a friend like Jonathan. Jonathan helped him shoulder that burden. And it was so important to have a friend like that at that time. And so uh, he, he shared his burden. He encourages him here in the departure. By the way, <clears throat> here they are embracing and kissing. This is a real physical friendship. You can't do that by texting <laughs> or clicking on a website. That is one disadvantage of friendships via electronics. David needed a, a, a friend to hug and to weep with and he had it here in jonathan well it's almost goodbye forever of course god doesn't recount every conversation that took place just enough to give us a taste of their relationship but there's one more uh, mentioned before jonathan dies as you know in battle and it's in chapter 23 and i love this <clears throat> this is at the height really of david's um expulsion from the court he he's just running from one cave to the next day by day to try to stay one step ahead of Saul. Now, somehow, Saul is, by the way, here's the king, Saul. You think he should be able to find David? You think he's got guys at his disposal to basically go out and be a fly on the wall in every village in Israel? And, and of course, God arranges it so he finds out just after David's left. Or if he is there, he warns David to get out. So he's just able to stay one step ahead of Saul. What is interesting is Jonathan knows exactly where he is. And not only that, he can go uh, right to where David is, which, by the way, if you think about it, Jonathan didn't just one day get up and say, oh, see you, Dad, I'm going down to spend some time with David. He had to he was taking his life in his own hands and David's by doing this. And there had a lot to be a lot of arranging so that, you know, the guy that was always behind him, you know, got less, got lost. So after all of that, somehow <clears throat> Jonathan finds David where he is. 
verse 15 of chapter 23. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Isn't that great? I love that. Strengthened his hand in God. He knew David needed some encouraging and he was willing to risk his life to go down just to say some words to him and be with him, you know, one more time. And he said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. By the way, David's in the situation of Abraham. He does have a promise from God to go on. Doesn't he? And really, and we can sit here and say, man, David, you know, you're going to be king. So you don't have to worry about Saul. Now, that's easy for us to say. <laughs> but when you're there with spears going by your head, okay, it's a different story. And so, and, and Jonathan knows that. And so you may read this and say, oh, man, Jonathan's stating the obvious. You know, what, what's, what good is this? I'll tell you, those are just the words that David needed to hear. It was the word of God. He's reminding David of the promise of God that he will be king. And so he says it that way. Uh, you shall be king over Israel. Okay? Man, is that clear or what? Because God said so, and he knows that. I'll tell you, that had to have really uh, just picked David up, you know, to hear Jonathan remind him of this. What's, what's kind of poignant here is this next one. And I shall be next to you. Now, Jonathan knew he wasn't quoting God on that. He's expressing the longing of his heart. And what's incredible again is he's the king's son. (laughs) He's the guy that should be on the throne. And if there's any right hand man, it should be David. But uh, Jonathan is such a godly man. He recognizes David as is his chosen guy. And he loves him like his own soul. He just wants to be a servant to David. Whatever, you know, you want me to do, David, I'll do it. I'll be right there. That's his heart's desire. So the first part is a reminder of the word of God. The second is the expression of his heart. And he's really restating his love for David here, too. Uh, Even my father, Saul, knows that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Earlier in the passage, Saul tried to work on Jonathan to remind him, you know, we need to kill David because... You're supposed to be the next king. If we wipe him out, you'll be king. Well, so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. By the way, this is the fourth time that's talked about. You see, their relationship is centered around the Lord. He's the heart of it. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. And as far as we know, that's the last time they ever met. And it's, and it's significant, it's important, that the last time they met was Jonathan risking his life to go and encourage and to strengthen David. Okay, well, the last mention, of course, of Jonathan, besides his death, which is at the end of 1 Samuel, is in 2 Samuel 2. Actually, 2 Samuel 1. Famous famous words where David uh, delivers a eulogy. Amazingly for Saul and Jonathan. We're not going to read the whole thing. We'll just pick up at uh, verse 23. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 23. <clears throat> Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. And there's where he expresses his love for Jonathan. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Okay, so God took Jonathan uh, out of David's life and... It was his purpose. He had his reasons. Part of it being that it was part of the judgment on the the house of Saul. But uh, to the very end, you can see that uh, Jonathan was a friend indeed. And 
the reason I wanted to bring up some of those words that uh, Jonathan did is because they tie in with something in the New Testament I've talked about before. They're called the one another's in the New Testament. And this applies to us because here we are right now. We're friends, right? Yes. We have something in common. And God wants us to act that way in a certain way. Okay, there are activities that he expects to see. And you find them in the one another's. And not surprisingly, the sort of things that you saw Jonathan do in his relationship with David. Let me just listen, and I'll give you a short list of some of these. These are the things that are to characterize us, okay? Instead of uh, collectors of um, ceramic pigs, or uh, there's another group on, on MySpace that was, it was interesting to me. It was, it's called Those Who Sing in the Shower. 26,000 members. There are other things that are supposed to characterize us. Okay, but you can sing in the shower too. <clears throat> Be kindly, listen to the one another's. That's what you're listening for here. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Didn't Jonathan do that? Of course, I should begin with, with the one we all know, and it's really the basis for all of them. It's the Lord's words himself in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you what? Love one another. As I have loved you, he says, by the way. If we do that, he says, all men will know that you are my disciples. Be of the same mind toward one another. That means no favoritism. You know? Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. We're all very good at, you know, being professional critics. He recognized that. He said, don't do that. That happens in the world. shouldn't happen among friends who know Jesus. Therefore, this fits with that. Accept one another. How? Just as Christ also received you. That's good. You think Jesus should have accepted you and me? <laughs> No way. <clears throat> Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. It's interesting. God, God acknowledges that we have differences with verses like that. But the idea there, uh, you know, bear with one another. It's like, oh man, I... Oh. If you only knew that guy, you know, and you kind of grit your teeth. Okay, I'll bear with it. That's not what he's saying. Listen to how he says it. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. <laughs> That's a different kind of bearing, isn't it? That's the right kind. Another one, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, acknowledging that we do sin, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Therefore, comfort each other and edify, that means build up one another. Let us consider one another in order to stir up. I like the old King James. It literally says to provoke to love and good works. Exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do not speak evil of one another. Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. And finally, along with forgiving one another, confess your sins to one another. We're not talking about like a priest in a little cubicle, obviously. When, when we wrong another brother or sister, we of all people should have the trademark of being the first to go and say, I was wrong, please forgive me. And in the same verse, pray for one another. Okay, I don't know what uh, ceramic pig collectors do when they get together, but that's what God has in mind for us 
as friends to each other and when that happens not only is god glorified we benefit and the world sees that we're different because pig collectors don't do that and shower singers don't do that on a regular basis christians should uh i'm excited about this as i think about it you know as i said god has been in the business of making networking groups for two thousand years and he's made one here and when you think about it this is this is the most exclusive group in the world you know that you can't get in by clicking a button or filling out an application and, and there's no price you can pay if you are truly in the body of christ the price has already been paid and you could not have afforded it jesus paid it for you wow think about that and when you became a member when i say i don't mean member of this church but a member of the body of christ you instantly inherited a million friends you haven't met them all yet okay but you will and the it's so exclusive by the way this is the bad news if you're not a member by the way it's my invitation only this is the good news the invitation goes out to everyone so if if you don't belong to jesus the the invitation still holds as long as you're still breathing the invitation is there for you to take we've already talked about it you come to him just as you are don't pretend you're a sinner it's that simple that's what he says and you trust him as your lord and savior instantly you become a member of a new group (laughs) and it's not collecting ceramic pigs it's those who love jesus christ let's pray father we thank you so much for your word we thank you for this example of jonathan and his relationship with david lord we pray that we might take to heart and really be that uh that special as you say in first peter peculiar people that clearly belong to jesus so so much so that the world would actually notice it and want to know more about him so we ask for your help in this and we pray it in jesus name amen